Oh, good afternoon. There's a phrase that you've heard many times this year. Make America great again. And regardless of what you think of Donald Trump, I like the statement. I mean, it's better than make America rotten, make America a socialist, communist form of government. It's, it's, at least it's a, it's a noble concept, make America great again. Now, I am not gullible enough to believe that any man can do that. There is one person that can make America, in fact, make the whole world great again, and that is Jesus Christ. But that's not going to occur until he returns to set up his government on this earth. And before that happens, things have got to get pretty bad. In fact, Jesus said, except those days are shortened, meaning at the end time, no flesh would be saved alive. So that sort of tells you just how bad it's, it's going to get. Unless I intervene, unless I return, there's not going to be anything left to save. Humanity will be all wiped out unless I return. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. I think it's easy for Christians to get very discouraged. I know I do. As you look at the political system, you know, um, the eight years of, you know, Obama and the, the very real possibility of Hillary uh, getting into the White House, very real possibility. And I, in my personal opinion is, is, you know, when you give, when you put power to evil or when you give evil power, empowerment, you haven't seen anything yet. Obama's eight years will be like a cakewalk when you empower an evil person. That's my opinion. I was listening to something on talk radio and the guy said, I think it was Rush Limbaugh, he said, they want you dispirited. It's easy to get dispirited, to just say, what's the use? I mean, I mean it just seems like, you know, and it's easy for Christians to get dispirited, to give up, to think, you know, I, it's just, I don't like the way anything is going. It's easy to do that. But the, but the Bible holds out hope. And I want to look at this one verse that, that I think where it gives us hope. In Deuteronomy 4 and verse 30. In Deuteronomy 4 and verse 30. It says, when you are in tribulation, and all these things are come upon thee, even in the latter days, at the very end time, if you turn to the Lord your God and shall be obedient to his voice, for the Lord your God is a merciful God, he will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of the Father which he swore unto them. I've always been encouraged by that verse. Even at the latter, latter days, at the end time, if you return to me, I will have mercy upon you. That's Deuteronomy 4 and verse 30. In other words, no matter how bad it gets, there's a message of a way out. I like that because it gives me hope that something good could happen. Like 
from the movie <laughs> Angels in the Outfield. You know, it could happen. Something good could happen. <laughs> how, now the question I want to deal with today is this. How could God make America great again? How could God make America great again? Now, I know America has never been perfect. We've had our, you know, shortcomings and sins and all that. I'm not saying America has ever been perfect, but it's, it's been blessed by God, obviously. And, you know, but the question I'm asking is, how could God make America great again? I'm just thinking, are there even enough people that even want that, who sincerely want God to make America great? And I have to question that. Um... Sometimes when I consider as God, what God would view America, sometimes I imagine God giving us enough rope to hang ourselves. That's sort of, I sometimes view it like that. You know, okay, you want more rope? Here's some more rope. Go hang yourself, since you seem to be determined to do that. But I think sometimes that God watches certain things and watches certain decisions that are made. Which direction we will go? And God is looking. He's watching. Now, one of the things I keep picking up on is that there's a lot of people who are totally, you know, discouraged at both candidates running for president. Very discouraged. And I heard something, you know, is this the best America can do? <laughs> and, uh, but with that attitude, I sort of see God's hand in the picture. Maybe what God is saying is, why, why would you place your confidence in a man or a woman? Why would you place your confidence in man, period? It's not going to make that much difference. Oh, well, well, I'll take that back. I think it could make a big difference, depending on which way we go. <laughs> big difference. How could God make America great? You know, at 9-11, 2001... There was a return to church that lasted about three months. But there was not a return to God. There was a return to church, yes. But not to God. There are 450,000 churches in America. There are 650,000 preachers that minister to those churches in America. And God is not looking for more church goers. At least I don't think so. More people just going to church. I, I, don't, I don't think that's what God is looking for. There's a verse, and I'm, I'm going to read this. It's, it's uh, Isaiah 1 and verse 13. One time, I, I like to try different translations. One time I came across this verse with the Message Bible. And I thought, wow, now that one is really speaking to us. Talking about more people going to church. It says this. It says, quit your worship charades. This is God speaking. Quit it. Stop it. <laughs> Forget it. I can't stand your trivial religious games. Monthly conferences, weekly Sabbath, special meetings, 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 meetings. I can't stand one more. Meetings for this, meetings for that. I hate them. You've worn me out. I am sick of your religion, 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 while you go right on sinning. Wow, that's powerful. And that's the message, while you go right on sinning. 
I don't care how much you go to church. The point is, you keep right on sinning. In a moment of quiet time, Billy Graham confessed to his family that he felt like he had been a failure. The reason was quite simple. After preaching and being heard by million, millions of people, he did not see a nation that was any closer to God. The divorce rate among Christians is the same as non-Christians, about 50%. You know, that ought to tell you something. You know, when you have to compare yourself, you know, Christian, non-Christian, doesn't make a bit of difference. 50% divorce rate. 68% of Americans say that divorce is morally acceptable. 60% say having a baby outside of marriage is morally acceptable. 59% say gay and lesbian sexual relationships is morally acceptable. 63% say sex between married men and women is morally, excuse me, sex between unmarried, let me get this right, my goodness. I gotta work on the, I gotta work on these glasses. <laughs> okay. Sixty-three percent say sex between unmarried men and women is morally acceptable. That's what people say today. Now, the ultimate fall of America is the fall of morality. That's the ultimate fall of America. When our morality fails, you don't want to be living in America. You really don't. I mean, sometimes you see a little snippet of that with some of the riots and you know, shootings of police officers. and You see a little snippet of it. But when morality falls in America, you, don't, you, really, you probably should wish you're dead and gone by then. I'm, you know, it's, it, my life has passed on. Leave it to somebody else. Leave it to the young people. <laughs> to survive. To survive. And yes, God can protect you. God can protect you. Which is good news. How? <clears throat> Again, except those days are shortened. You know. No flesh should be saved alive. And when I talk about morality Failing, falling, you know, failing in America, it just seems like a lot of people don't even care. They just don't care about morality. It's not, a big, it's not an issue. I don't care. How could God make America great again? I want to look at a verse, Deuteronomy 10 and verse 12. I think answers this question in uh, two verses. Two verses. Deuteronomy 10 and verse 12. How could God make America great again? Here's your answer. And now Israel, God was talking to Israel. What does the Lord thy God require of thee? What is it that God wants? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statute, which I command you this day for your good. That's how we could be great again. Basically, sold out to God. Fully committed, in a nutshell. Sold out to God, fully committed. It's not too much to ask for, is it? Now, in order for God to make America great, he would have to make the churches that dot our land great again. 
all 450,000, all 650,000 preachers. He would have to make, and I think that, that's where it would start, those numbers right there. In order to make a nation great, you'd have to start with those 450,000 churches and make them great. Then you could see some results. You know, it's one thing to deal with people, individuals that go to church, you know, you try to talk to them and convince them of certain things, but all they do is just go back to their preacher and ask, and, and say, does the Bible say? No, the Bible doesn't say that. You do whatever you want to. And so, but if you could get to this point of the central teaching institutions, the 450,000 churches, and the 650,000 preachers, and say, look, let's, let's do this. Deuteronomy 10 and verse 13. To keep the commandments of the Lord thy God, which I command you this day for your good. That's where you would have to start. Now, it presents problems. If you could do this, it presents certain problems. Such as, I once read an article entitled, Voices of Unbelief Behind the Pulpit. And it lists a whole list of preachers major denomination, Baptist, uh, Presbyterian, men who admitted, whose job was to preach, but admitted they didn't believe in God. Now they keep it a secret because they don't want their congregation to find out. But they look at it as play acting. They look at it as entering a role when I get up to speak. And yet they admit they don't even, they don't no more believe in God than anything. They're just doing it for an income, it's a pretty easy way to make a living, and uh, they admit it, that's what they're doing. Now, I don't know how many there are out there like that, but that presents a problem when you start dealing with these 650,000 preachers and 450,000 churches that dot our land. You know, sometimes Christians can be sort of gullible. Just because the person wears the cloth or the robe or whatever doesn't mean he is sent by God. Nothing can be further from the truth. Jesus reminds us that by their fruits you shall know them. We need to evaluate the fruit of the message. What are we hearing at church? In a way, what we're hearing, church has, the modern churches of today have become what we would call an echo chamber. Let me explain that. If you're ever in a canyon or a big empty building, you know, you have an echo. You know, hello, 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 it comes back to you. Churches have become like an echo chamber. Chances are you're hearing the echoes of your own heart, convictions, your way of seeing things being repeated back to you. Echo chambers. You follow that? Your own heart, your own conviction. What I want to hear anyway is just coming back to me. Do you agree with your minister? Do you like what he has to say? Then you're in the echo chamber. <laughs> He's only telling you what you want to hear. Now don't exclude yourself from this. Don't, don't, don't think, oh, I'm in the church of God. That can never happen to me. It can happen to you. Trust me. He's only telling you what you want to hear. Welcome to the modern churches echo chambers. I mean, I just, boy, I heard a great, you should have been, I heard a great sermon, you should have been there. 
Man, he really laid it on the line. I'm thinking, you, lo you loved it, obviously. You're telling me how wonderful it was. He's just telling you what you wanted to hear anyway. That's all he's doing. He's just telling you what you wanted to hear. That's why you loved it. If he told you what you didn't want to hear, you would get up and walk out and find another church. I want to list some quotes by famous theologians that describe maybe the way the church and the message used to be. I don't know how far we'd had to go back in time, 200 years maybe. The first duty of the gospel preacher is to declare God's law and show them the nature of sin. That's Martin Luther. Before I preach love, mercy, and grace, I must preach sin, law, and ju judgment. That's John Wesley. He also said preach 90% law and 10% grace. <laughs> Boy, we got that one re reversed today. It's like one, I don't even know if it's 1% law. But it's 99.9% .9 grace, I can guarantee you that. <clears throat> I'm not knocking grace. I realize I'm saved by grace, but, but the, two, you know, the two work together, the law and grace. They will never accept grace until they tremble before a just and holy law. Charles Spurgeon. Even more, the law must prepare the way for the gospel to overlook this in, in this in instructing souls is almost certain to result in false hope. The introduction of false standard of Christian experience and to fill the church with false converts. To fill the church with false converts. Charles Finney. The highest service to which a man may obtain on earth is to preach the law of God. God, being perfect, a perfect God, had to give a perfect law. And the law was given not to save man, but to measure them. Dwight Moody. Now, I want to tell you something. This kind of preaching does not build a mega church. This kind of preaching does not fill an auditorium full of 10,000 people every Sunday morning. Not this kind of preaching. Now, we're talking about the echo chamber. I want to talk a little bit more about that. I have made it a practice since God called me to listen to preachers who do not share my convictions. I mean, I always have. I mean, I, I've just, I listen, I don't, I listen to Church of God ministers, yeah. But I also listen to a lot of them that do not share my conviction. I go through spells. I mean, I'll listen to, I'll get, I got hooked on, you know, this preacher, that preacher. And, and so I listen to preachers that, that don't always share all of my convictions and my faith and everything that I do, but I listen to them. It is impossible, impossible to grow beyond your denominations or church's view of God. It's impossible to grow beyond that. If you're a Baptist, you will die a Baptist. If you're a Catholic, you will die a Catholic. If you're a Presbyterian, you will die a Presbyterian, is what I'm saying. And I might add, if you're in the Church of God, you'll probably die in the Church of God. I could say that also. <laughs> you see, here, here, we're no different than other religious people. 
you got to understand this. Oh, we're different in our convictions, I understand. But religious people share this in common. When they get, get saved or whatever you want to look at, they look at themselves as, I have arrived. I have arrived. And when you do that, that's the greatest, and sometimes I think they're, right here in this church may be the greatest potential for no spiritual growth because of that concept of I have arrived. I'm in God's church. You see, when God calls you, you came to a fork in the road. And there were two signs at the fork in the road. One fork and one sign said, you have arrived. And you go down that road and it's just got a cul-de-sac at the end of it. About 10 feet down the road, it's got a cul-de-sac and you just go around circles. The other one says, the other sign says, the journey to knowing God. And that road never ends. You walk it until the day you die. The journey to knowing God. Which road are you on? The one says, I have arrived. You see, in that sense, we're no different than any other religious person out here. That's their view a lot of times. I have arrived. Hey, I'm a Baptist. I'm a Catholic. I'm in, you know, I'm in the church. Yeah, that's my faith. And never think about it again. Never think, never question, never think about it, anything. <clears throat> we have a tendency to get locked into our glass cathedrals. We're, we're part of the insiders group. You know what I mean? We're, we're on the inside here. We don't think outside the box. We can only see things the way we're told to see things. The leadership of the Holy Spirit is waiting for us to expand our minds and take us places we've never dreamed of. But we say, no thank you. I'm comfortable here. I'm at ease right where I'm at. Sometimes you hear the statement, I'm just not being fed at my church. Well, of course not. Of course not. It's because you have placed such incredible limitations on the Spirit of God. You're only seeing it, you know, inside the box there. I can only learn from my little group. I can only learn from my little group, my little church. That's, that's all I can. I, in fact, I have heard people say that in the church of God who, say, who told me, I don't go outside to other, I don't listen to any other preachers. The only thing I listen to Church of God, because they have arrived. <laughs> I was, I, I used to visit, well, I still do, a friend in the ministry. They would ask me, I'd go to his church, and they would ask me to speak. And this went on for a couple years. But there came a time where he had to tell me, he didn't want to, but he had to tell me, well, he said, look, uh, you can't speak at that. It's Church of God, by the way. You can't speak there anymore. You're, you're not one of them. You're not part of that ministry. Now, I was Church of God. They were Church of God. But I couldn't speak there anymore because I wasn't of them. Well, it was their loss. <laughs> Often the truth is inside of you, but it doesn't just hasn't been brought to the forefront of your mind. I think, all, I think this happens a lot with us. The truth is on the inside of you. It just hasn't been, there is a truth. There's a gold nugget that is inside of you, but it hasn't been brought to the forefront of your mind. And many times by listening to someone with 
maybe an opposing conviction not quite like yours. I've had, by doing this, golden nuggets of truth brought to the forefront of my mind. I was listening one time to, I think I told this story, but I'll tell it again. I was listening to Andrew Womack Ministries. Now, he's not doing everything like we're doing. I can guarantee you that. I was driving down the road listening. To, I got on a kick of listening to him. I, I like him. He made a statement. He said, you cannot be tempted by a thought you don't think. I nearly ran my truck through a stop sign. And it wasn't as though I didn't know that. You know, I knew the verse. Every man was tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. But it was just something about the way he said it, what he said, the way he put those words together. You cannot be tempted by a thought you don't think. And I said, well, of course. I should have known that. That was life-changing for me. It was. Maybe you're thinking, well, boy, it doesn't take much to change it. You know. But it was life-changing. Had I blocked that person out of my life, I would have never gotten that gold nugget of truth. Had I said, nope, he's not one of us. Can't listen to him. <clears throat> In order to, for God to make America great again, he would have to make the churches great again. All 450,000, all 650,000 preachers. Did Jesus divide his church up into denominations? The five biggest are the Southern Baptist Convention, United Methodist Church. Number three, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Four, the Church of God in Christ. Five, the National Baptist Convention. Then from there, you've got Amish religion, Assemblies of God, born-again movements, brethren churches, Christian reformed churches, Christian science, congregational church, dis disciples of Christ, emerging church movement, four-square gospel, Jehovah's Witness, Jesus People, USA, Mennonites church, Messianic Jewish, Jewish movements, Presbyterian church, Quaker denomination, Salvation Army, Seventh-day Adventist, United Church of Christ, United Pentecostal church, just to mention a few. When Jesus said, I will build my church, he was not talking about 41,000 different denominations. He wasn't talking about that. You can't find the word Baptist and Catholic in the church. I mean, in the Bible, excuse me. Now, how do you feel about those people? I just listed. How do you feel about them? Is it... Us, them, well, they're not in the church. I mean, I have arrived, but none of them have arrived. How do you feel about those people? You know, the prophets of old, and I'm thinking Dan, Daniel said this, when he talked about sin, the sins of a nation, he says, we have sin. Not they have sin. He didn't exclude himself. I over the years, I sometimes get tired of excluding myself from potential brothers and sisters in Christ. I sometimes get sick of it after a while. And it was almost like I was, I didn't, I didn't choose it necessarily. Um, it was just something that happened. That us-them mentality. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10. 
speaks to people, all of us. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no division among you, but, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. You look at those four points. Number one, that you all speak the same thing. Two, that there be no division among you. Three, that you be perfectly joined together. Four, in the same mind, in the same judgment. I tell you, if we could speak the same mind in just one area, how great it would be. If the churches could speak the same mind in just one given area. You know, maybe I'm living in a fantasy land thinking this will ever happen. But you know, when I dream, I dream big. <laughs> there was a song by John Lennon, Imagine. Some say that I'm a dreamer. And maybe I'm just dreaming. But it seems like I was taught, and I don't think this was intentionally, to believe that people with opposing beliefs were my enemy. I don't know how that came about. It was almost like, well, they're, they're, they're not part of you. I don't think the church actually said that, but it's almost as if how I read it. That they were, you know, opposing beliefs. They're my enemy, people that believe differently. We become dispirited. And when you do, you know, sometimes we become dispirited and we say, well, I can't read. Those people can never be reached. We give up and we quit trying. How could God make this nation great again? Well, we read it earlier. And now, Israel, what does the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you this day, for your good. So the answer is very simple. How could the 450,000 churches, how could the 650,000 preachers, how could we, you know, be, how could all of them be great again? It's very simple. Fully committed, sold out to God. 